Okay, welcome to The Sacred Life. We're going to have a, a little different sort of conversation today because uh, David and I couldn't really get together. We like to get together for a walk in the woods, and um, I'm just out in my backyard right now standing on the edge of a baseball field, and David's horseback riding, so you might hear some uh, some crunching of leather. There you go. I just heard a little bit of it come through. Um, but it, it sounds like uh, this will be able to work for the conversation. And, and even though we're not doing our normal thing, I actually want to make a quick comment about our normal thing, the idea that we, we go walking in the woods. Um, mostly today's conversation is going to be a, a supplement to what we did last time when we were referring sort of mostly to the mark of the beast. Um, but when I say what we normally do, we go for a walk in the woods. And, and in my mind, that's sort of an act of exploration, even though it's stuff that we've, we've seen. We've been in that woods before. We're still... We're, we're choosing the path while we're out there walking. Um, we, we don't have a script that we're following. We are, um, in, in our speech, in the dialogue that we're doing, we're also in a process of exploration. And, um, and, and to me, that fits in very well with the ideas that we've been talking about, too. Um, that we're not, we're not coming at it from a, a dogmatic, here's what we believe kind of thing. We're just hit and record on a conversation and, and seeing what happens, um, seeing what we, what we stumble into accidentally. And last time when we talked, um, I, I really, I, I think it was, from my perspective anyways, from what I hope we accomplish, it was one of the better talks that we've had. But one thing that I particularly enjoyed, I'm going to mention one thing that, that I said, and then we'll get to something that David said as well. But I kind of made a comment about the the problem with logical argument, um, the problem with rationality, which I'm, I'm not opposed to. Rationality is great. Um, reason is great uh, and very, very useful. But when we lean on these things, we, we sort of act like we can put all our trust in them and they can take care of all of our problems. Then I, I think we're in error. But in my mind, I've been trying to solve this problem. Like I feel like there's, I feel like there's something wrong with the logical process, as powerful and as good as it is. The logical process being basically, and I'm going to chat a long time, David, before I give you a chance to talk, I think. That's okay, my <laughs> horse is getting bored in there. Okay. Snorting. Yeah. Um, but, but the logical process basically is, is you have a premise, and you combine it with another premise, and those two things allow you to come to a conclusion. And there are lots of ways that we can do that poorly, so we might have a premise that is just no good. Um, we might think that combining them leads to the conclusion, but we're actually making some kind of logical leap. Um, I mean, there's lots of errors. I mean, other logical fallacies too, but there's lots of errors we can have in the process of, of what we think is logical thinking, where we're not thinking logically, but we believe that we are. But, but I, I thought that's not the issue. The problem with logic is not that we do it poorly. I think there's another issue with the logical process. And in the last conversation, we'd spent a lot of time talking about a closed interpretation um, of a symbol. But I, I stuck that into this logical process and, and thought about, well, what if we have a closed interpretation of a premise? And th th this is just something that I said last time. But um, if, if we have a premise, what we're doing is we're interpreting an idea in one way and we're, we're ignoring all the other things that that idea can mean, that that truth can mean. We're turning an idea into something that's crisp, 
that has crisp edges, that doesn't have blurry boundaries. And once we do that, we turn this truth into an object that we can use like a building block to lead to other conclusions. And again, it's really powerful, but the problem is you, you cut off the blurry edges, you cut off the, the alternate meanings of the idea. So now when you combine it with other ideas, it's not going to get you... Um, well, it's going to get you to a good conclusion, but a flawed conclusion. And, and it's always going to lead you to a conclusion that has some sorts of flaw, uh, some, something that it ignores that will be important at some point in time to somebody. And actually, this, is, this seems kind of closely related to the idea of, of uh, concern with the margin in society, concern with people that aren't normal, or ideas that aren't normal, or institutions that, that aren't normal, um, that don't fit in the center of things, but that fit on the margins. Because sometimes our, uh, our rational processes just cut those off and exclude those, and we come to good and powerful conclusions, except for the fact that now we have a group of people that's not represented by them. Um, it, that, that wasn't the point I was making, but, um, but that, that sort of fits in with this, this problem with the nature of logic. I don't know if that's an interesting or persuasive perspective to other people, but for me, um, I'd, I'd been trying to figure out what is what is wrong with logic itself. And, and again, not to reject it, but to say, I think it's a good thing, but I think it has a weakness, and I can't figure it out. I don't think the weakness is that we do it wrong. I think there's something wrong with, with logic itself. And, and I just felt like during that conversation, um, because it was an act of exploration, I was able to land on this idea that was, for me, a solution to a, a kind of uh, intellectual problem. And so I was just really pleased with that. And I wanted to, for one, I want to highlight the, the critique of logic again for anybody who would be interested. But also I wanted to highlight this idea of um, you don't come to something like that through like this purely rational process, but you come to, to it through this more dialectical process this dialogue, this back and forth, um, this like throwing ideas out there and, and seeing what happens in a, I think a, a not entirely rational way, which is the kind of, the kind of conversation that we have when we're on a walk in the woods. So that was one thing. The other thing I can get around to too, but I don't know if, if David, if you wanted to make any comments about either, either the critique of logic or about the process of exploration. I'm, I'm curious what you said. I guess I don't quite know where you're going with it um that there's something flawed with logic itself um well just that in order to use an idea as a premise um you have to turn that idea into something simpler than what it really is yeah um if if you're gonna like we talked about it was in the context of this conversation about problems with category categories problems with categorizing people in particular but when when you put something into a category then like you're, you're putting a, a sort of strict definition on it and you're saying it is this thing. And um, I, I mean, I guess I need to use an example in order to make the point. If you try to say that a person is a certain thing, then you're ignoring other things that that person is. Uh, so for example, race. Like if you're gonna define, uh, or we'll just, we keep saying that we're Swiss, for example. Um, the truth is we're not Swiss. The truth is we're, we're a mixture of a whole lot of different nationalities. And in, in fact, like people that are living in Switzerland are a mixture of a whole lot of different nationalities as well. And so you try to put somebody in, a, in like a, a racial category or, or ethnic or national category, 
Um, there is a truth to that. There's a truth to saying that we're Swiss, but it also ignores a lot of other truths. And so if you want to use something as a premise so that you can come to conclusions, what, what you have to do with an idea or, or with something that you put into a category is you have to ignore all those blurry lines that surround it. And you just have to say, it is this thing. This person is this thing, or this idea is this thing. And now I've simplified it and made it into something that it is not. And it's a useful thing, but it's not actually what the thing is. Uh, I don't know if that cleared it up or not. Yeah. Um... And, and so, like, in order to have a premise, you have to start off by telling a kind of a lie. Uh, again, you've, you take an idea and you turn it into something simpler than its own reality. That's, that's a kind of a lie. And it's useful. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, again, logic is really, really useful. Yeah, I mean, my, my immediate reaction to what you're saying is, John, how postmodern are you? <laughs> no, I know. And I, I mean, I, I sort of feel that. And, and even, even when I mention, like, the center and the margins, it's like I'm referencing other people's arguments that um, when, when, people, when people get, like, really bent out of shape about the exclusion of the margins and then try to lift up the margins um, as a result, like the people that are in the margins of society, that's what I mean, um, then then I feel like there's a kind of affront to, um, to like, well, to the center, but there's, there's sort of an affront to, like, wait, so, um, f like, for example, an affront to this, the center, um, you could speak of that in moral terms, but you could also say, like, well, that means if you're attacking the center, then you're attacking straight, white, um, Protestant men um, in order to lift up some minority that has been excluded from the thought process. And so, I mean, that's not only postmodern, but that's like, that's also woke, you know, which, which is kind of even worse than postmodern. Um, so no, I, I mean, I think, I think that's right what you're saying. And that's why I'm so cautious to say, I don't want to, I don't want to indicate that I'm trying to reject logic and reason, which postmodern thinking does want to reject those, those things. Um, and often wants to reject them because they're so associated with the center and logic and reason are so associated with masculinity also and with the patriarchy. Um, and, and I, I mean, I'm not putting myself in the camp that makes those, those criticisms. Um, and, and, uh, above all, in the way that I try to say that I'm not in that camp is because I'm saying I, I like logic and I want to, to elevate logic and reason and, you know, get people to embrace that, but I also think that it's insufficient. The The way that I think it's mostly insufficient um, is because logic doesn't tell you how to live your life or why to live it that way. Um, it doesn't tell you what's valuable and what you should pursue and how to pursue it. You, In order to land on those things, you have to rely on something other than logic. So for me, like, that's the real problem with logic is that it doesn't have all the answers. Um, and, I, and I guess that's related to this issue. I thought, like, there are people who try to come up with a logical way of explaining, um, explaining morality. Like, they say just through logical means and through rational means, we should be able to come up with a system of morality that everybody can agree to. And, um, I mean, Sam Harris, I'm not really that familiar with his thinking, but I know that's sort of his project. Um, to come up with a totally rational morality. And, and from my perspective, I say it can't be done. Whatever, yeah. whatever you come up with as a, as a logical conclusion and say, well, look, this is how people should live in, in order to be moral people. Um, I think anybody who wants to can say, you know what, I would rather kill a bunch of people and seize power and I don't care about your system. <laughs> um, 
I, I don't think I don't think it has any any binding on anybody, um, even though one person has decided that it's logical. So so that I think is the real breakdown of of logic is that it doesn't give you the ultimate answers to the ultimate questions in life. It it never has and it never will. Uh, but like I said, along with that, I I felt like like there is a weakness in the process. There's something about logic itself that makes it so that so that it can't come to those kind of conclusions because those are um, those are decisions that depend on dealing with the the blurry areas in life questions of what's the meaning of life and all of that like you you can't you can't come up with crystallized definitions and plug them into a system and come up with an answer to a question like what's the meaning of life or what should I do with my own life yeah um I mean, this is this is all pretty interesting. Um, I was uh, just listening at work today to what's his name, Saint Isaac the Syrian. But I looked him up um, while you were talking. Would have been a I, I didn't know who he was. It just was something that came up. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when I was listening to this, after I would listen to something else. Um, he's a I guess he's a seventh century. Uh, Syriac theologian um, but he was talking about this idea of, of the intellect and knowledge and coming down really harshly on this idea well like he presented some really interesting ideas um, what it was it was, like, it, was, it, was, it was like a collection of short sayings I guess he probably wrote them like as a collection that was a pretty common thing mm-hmm. for ancient Christians to write like uh catalogs of really short like proverb-like sayings yeah generally they're longer than like the proverbs in the book of proverbs but um but anyway he's talking an awful lot about the, these ideas of, of knowledge and of logic and reason and i can't remember off the top of my head i guess i wasn't prepared for this to come into this conversation um and also i'm riding a horse so i don't <laughs> have any, any notes or anything yeah um, but he uh, he's making comments about well, like the intellect is useful, but it's only useful to help you learn how to pray, and then after you've learned how hmm. to pray, the intellect ceases to be useful. Yeah, which I thought was just a really fascinating idea. Like on, like it's important to point out his his idea of pray is considerably different than what a modern idea of prayer mm-hmm. would be. Yeah. Um, but, and then, like, but but it does, like, it It really does, if you break it down, relate an awful lot to what you're saying, that it's essentially right. what he's saying in this sort of 7th century Eastern Christian, uh, like, uh, Oriental Christian way of framing things, is that... Like, basically what you said, like, you can't, like, intellect can get you on the right path. It can point you towards something. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it can't actually get you what, like, it can't, it can't attain to higher things. Yeah. It's just, um, and like, he he also speaks of the intellect considerably as a, uh, extensively, I mean, as a, uh, like, a carnal thing. An earthly thing and something like not something that's heavenly. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's it's like a tool in a way. I mean, in, in a way, yeah. it's it's not your own self, but it's a tool that you that you can use. 
Um, um, yeah, and then like on that topic, and the on that topic, like he also talked about, like uh, you know, people who are um, really eager to share their intellect and share their knowledge of the truth don't actually know the truth because those that do know the truth keep it in humility. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, thought, like, you know, I mean, like, uh, Jesus didn't write anything, and yeah, right. and, but, but and also, also Buddha like, didn't write anything, and Confucius didn't write anything. Uh, and, 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 I mean, that that is a really interesting pattern, and Socrates didn't write anything. Um, so, uh, it, it's, I, like, really something quite striking that these people who have a, a perspective and a wisdom that changes the world, and uh, thousands of years can go by, and we're still talking about these people, and we're still trying to draw on them rather than on the people who have come since then. Uh, and they, they didn't write anything. I mean, it, it, it's, it is interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, and like also Jesus' disciples, um, two of them wrote something. Mm-hmm. And the conventional wisdom around that is the only reason they wrote anything is because people begged them to. Yeah. Um, it's like you have Peter write some things and you have Matthew write the gospel. And that's it. Uh, well, you get John. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, so three of them wrote something. Um... We get James. Well, he wasn't one of the disciples. He wasn't one of the twelve. Okay, that's um. Well, anyways, um, okay. So yeah, I mean, your your comment about about his take on the intellect is is interesting for a lot of different reasons. Um, the the intellect, I I described it as being like a tool, but you could you could kind of associate it with. Um, like the conscious mind, and um, and then this other type of thinking, uh, you might say, like that's the unconscious mind, um, and so you you said the intellect or or um, this uh, writer that you are quoting said the intellect could help you figure out how to pray, but then it wasn't going to do you any good, and and I think there's there's this amazing thing about the way that that, that consciousness works. Um, because I, I will say for a time, um, when I was uh, like, especially in college and beginning to learn, um, about psychology, then it sort of felt like the, the subconscious is a real mystery. And then when it came to like neurochemistry, um, it seemed like this very mechanical view of the person. And I, I really didn't even want to know very much about it because I felt like, um, like it, it sort of denied some of the, the mystery and, and maybe sacredness of being human. But so I, I, I did learn about these things and, and really actually not very much at, at college when it comes to neurochemistry. Um, but you know, I, I took an interest in these things and I kind of came to a point in life where it's like, well, Hey, if there's something that I'm, that I was afraid of for some reason, then I'm going to go out and learn about it now. Um, I, there was a time in life when I, I felt like I couldn't handle it and I don't, I don't want to be that way anymore. Um, so I'm going to go out and, and learn about these things. And so it's like the more you learn about this, the more you realize that like the, what, what you do subconsciously, the decisions that you make without thinking about it 
are actually um, like they, they make perfect sense and and you you can think of your body as being like a machine and it, it, it just it just runs its program and I, I know this is why I, I said I didn't like to think about this stuff because I don't want to think about a person as being like a machine but in, in a way you you operate according to like a very strict program and when you um, when you have something that you're doing say like you're playing a video game or something and, and you think okay, I'm just going to do five more minutes or one more round or whatever, and then I'm going to quit. But then that amount of time passes, and then, then you don't quit. You're just back into it. And it's like, well, the, the reason, it, I mean, dopamine is the reason for that. Because, like, um, because a, a dopamine release makes it easier for you to do something again. And it's, it's how you form addictions. Um, basically, like, it is easier for you to keep playing that game than it is for you to do anything else. It's easier yeah. for you to continue than it is for you to stop. And because that's like the path of least resistance, you continue to do it. And so all, all your habits, I mean, basically they work that way. Um, you've, you've given yourself a reward for doing something and then you developed it as a habit and now you just do it automatically. Um, all your routines, everything you do in the morning when you get up, like the, there are things that you just, you basically automatically do without very much conscious input at all. And sometimes you can wind up in, in just a disastrous state of life and you've got lots of bad habits. And, and when you're in that state, then, then the thing that's, that, that can really actually be a mystery um, is, is your conscious mind and is your rational mind. Because somehow um, it's like you've, you've determined what kind of person you're going to be and your program is written and you cannot help but be that kind of person. But then you can step back and observe it and you can say, this isn't rational. You can say, um, I have a goal to be this kind of person, and I'm being this kind of person in myself. Instead, I'm ruining my, my chances at a good life. I'm hurting myself every single day um, by doing things that aren't important to me. Um, and then you, like, you make a rational decision, a, and a conscious, well-thought-out decision that says, I'm going to change my life. And, and I, I think that that decision is not only rational, but like, um, but, but the conscious mind comes in and makes an evaluation and says, this does not help me to achieve my goals. And, and then, then you, like you have the ability to rewrite your own programming. But once you've, once you've done the rewriting, then, um, like, I don't know what to say, like, then you're on the path. So that's what I thought of when you said the, the intellect helps you to, um, yeah. to learn how to pray but afterward, it's not the intellect that's that's going to be like the thing of true prayer. Yeah, but it's also like not the uh, the dopamine response or like the animal nature either. Um, and like I guess like to cast this in a in a, in a Christian in a sort of a Christian context is um, like this harkens back like this this points back to the like the traditional model that you're a triune being. Um, like your your three beings united in one, mm -hmm. um, like distinct but inseparable. Like your you are like your intellect is part of you. Um, like early Christianity quickly associates the the idea of the soul with the with the intellect, like the rational mind. Well, you know, it's like, like I, I said, I think this is going to be kind of to your point. I, I don't think it's the intellect alone that can make that transformation because I think you can logically look at your life and say, I'm living a bad life. 
and yet you you find you are still powerless to change it. Yeah. Um, right. And so like you've you've got this this programming that's doing one thing. You've got this intellect that is failing to change that thing. Um, but then then somehow there's this uh, this um, this third force, which maybe maybe you could just define as like some different layer of the subconscious or something. Um, but 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 there's something else at work too that is necessary, and I'm not going to try to define it. I'll let you do that, I guess. Um, I'm not going to try to define it either. Like when you, when you start getting into uh, um, you know things like what's your body, what's your spirit, what's your soul. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't like it's not something I think you can you can really hammer down. Yeah, right. And like I'll go along with that, like. You, you read the writings again, like of, of early Christians, and they harshly criticize it, those uh, those Christians that try to uh, try to define what they are. Mm-hmm. And like, in, like in their minds, like that's the kind of error that leads you to become a Gnostic. Yeah. Well, go um, go ahead and finish your point on this, uh, uh, like tripartite being. Yeah. Well, like. Um, well, I've kind of <laughs> kind of forgotten it because you interrupted. Okay, me. Um, all right. Um, but no, um, just that. So, like, I was making the point that, um, well, mostly I wanted it to get into the point that uh, so traditionally Christianity identifies that what humanity has, what humans have, that sets us apart from the animals, from the beasts, is the rational soul. Like mm-hmm. the rational intellect, the rational mind, right. our ability to reason and to use logic. Right. And so they quickly uh, take this and say, "Well, like that must that must be for a reason." Um, and and maybe that reason is it's something that allows us to point towards God in a way that the animals can't. Mm-hmm. We can look at the world and see things and discern things about it and do things. Um, and, you know, that gives us the ability to, to approach God in the way that the animals can't. So, like, even though we've criticized, uh, you know, this uh, intellectual, rationalistic approach, it's still, it's, it's still a part of the process. Mm-hmm. And no, I, I, I think, I mean, I, I think it's a very important part of the process, yeah. and I've, I've tried to, I've tried to refrain from, uh, from allowing us to be dismissive of it. Right. Yeah, like, that's the thing, I think, that sets us apart from, like, let's say Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, which, is like, Buddhism is, like, if you're going to be a good, a good Buddhist, it's the complete draining of the rational intellect. Right. Well, I, 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 keep, I keep mentioning the Romantic poets as well, um, and uh, there, there are some ways where they, they can be actually very uh, rational, like, uh, they can be very moralistic in particular, um, but, uh, but romanticism too winds up basically being a rejection of, of rationality, um, because, because they've seen rationality run amok. Um, they're, they're people who were reacting against the enlightenment and the sins of the enlightenment, and they had this sort of extreme reaction and while there are things that I admire in them, I also have this feeling that, like, man, romanticism sort of, like, ruined the whole course of human history <laughs> because, uh, well, I've mentioned before, like, this, this distinction between the romantic idea and, and the classical idea, classical using the very broadest 
possible sense of that word um, in terms of art, in, in romantic art, and I know I'm going on a, a little bit of a tangent, in romantic art, the art is all about basically yourself and your feelings. Um, and you want to elevate your feelings and, and view your own feelings as being kind of something that's sacred. And in classical art, um, your aim is instead to, through the experience of that art, to bring proper order to your soul. Um, and, and also to your body, actually. Uh, both of those things. But, um, but it, it's like in, in rejecting reason and trying to return to something that was better than pure reason, uh, they didn't get there. <laughs> like, um, they, they didn't wind up with a, a whole person uh, when, when they were trying to like fix the problems of the Enlightenment. And so that's right. what I don't want to do. I don't want to reject reason and wind up with this half of a person. Well, and it's like, it's sort of, a, it's, it's sort of something that is uh, like being repeated now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and, and that's, I, I think, also, like, like part of this, uh, even though we, we talk about, like, mysticism as being something that's, that's important to embrace, that's sort of like a, a danger of mysticism as well. That's like, yes, you're, you're trying to reclaim something that's valuable and that we've lost, but um, in the process, like, you're just, you're just becoming the other half of a person. You're not, you're not becoming a yeah. whole person um, if, if all that you value is the mystical side of life. Right. And I, I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I think mysticism is, is in some ways like the best way to describe uh, the thing that we're talking about. And yet when I hear people using that word mysticism, then, then what I see is like, is just, just a different half of a person that's, that's missing something yeah, important. I, I, I think that's a really good way to put it. Cause you know, we've, we've in a number, a number of times had this conversation, like, we kind of don't like the word mysticism because of the connotation it has. Mm -hmm, right. Um, and like, well, that's, I think, a good summary of what those connotations are. Yeah, like, well, right. Mysticism is like, this, uh, sorry, I'm making some noise here. Yeah. Um, it's like this, uh, this, like, complete lack of reason in, in, in intellect. Um, well, that's not actually, that's not actually the sort of mysticism that we're after. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Like that is like this pseudo mysticism that's crept up. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep making noise. Sorry. Yeah. Um, let's see, I, I had another direction with your, uh, um, intellect as being this thing that leads us to prayer, and I don't know if I can, um, I don't know if I can come up with it or not. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I thought, since you're making so much noise, I'd come up with something to talk about. But, uh, um, do, do you have another thought? Because I, I wanted to bring in one other thing from our last conversation, and I think I can tie it pretty well to where we're at right now. Um... Well, I guess just kind of tie that up that, uh, that again, that, that really does <coughs> bring in what we're trying to get at with mysticism, that it's, it's not like this uh, um, mindlessness, mm -hmm. this lack of intellect. It's like, no, our sort of mysticism is this traditional Christian mysticism in which the rational intellect is the starting point. Right. Um Oh, I guess I guess my only other thought. Sorry, I, I got it again. This thing of, of, of the intellect being what 
um, what leads us to prayer. Um, it's it's sort of a, kind of goes along the same idea that um, that the intellect is not going to tell you what is valuable in life. Uh, the point that I made before, I felt like when you you, you made that comment, it was sort of echoing that. Um, that place that I started. The intellect or logic or reason is not going to tell you what's valuable in life and what kind of person you should be. Um, yeah. There's there's something else that's the source of those things, but but you can't achieve those things without the intellect. Once right. you once you know what kind of person you need to be, then like it's it's sort of like your obligation then is to step back and take a good hard look at yourself and and rationally analyze like what am I doing in my life. Is this going to get me the results that I know deep in my heart and soul that I want? Well, like it's fascinating because, like, I, when you when you say that, I have to think of like the rational atheist mm-hmm. who, um, you know, is just like, well, the, the intellect is is everything, and the answer, like you mentioned, Sam Harris, like the answer is, uh, let's come up with a a uh, like a perfectly reasonable system. Um, like we don't have any need for mysticism we don't have any need for religion we don't have any need for philosophy uh we don't have any need for superstition and all this hocus pocus nonsense mm-hmm. um but it's like you they, they fail to realize how much that's actually comp- so wholly embedded in their being and that no matter what they can't actually get away from it mm-hmm yeah, I mean, e- even even the quest for like a, a a moral, and I'll even go ahead and use the word ethical, like the quest for an ethical world. Um, like, why? What's the point? Why? Why should? Well, yeah, I mean, like, why should we value that? Um, this is something that that troubled me a lot when I was younger. Is looking at this idea of of rationalism and intellect and reason is like, well, you know what? If you're actually going to be rational and reasonable about things. Um, the world's going to be a terrible place because you're going to kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Which I mean, that's what that's what a point I've tried to make is that that is what rational thought does. Um, if if it's left to its own devices, um, it comes across those who disagree with it, even though they might be equally rational. They just they just define those premises in a different way. They cut off a different part of the 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 axiomatic idea than what you cut off. So now that you find yeah. up, so, what, so you you come across somebody who has different conclusions than you, then then you try to destroy, and actually, I mean that's that is what you see from a rational atheist too. They want they want they not only like dislike religion, they want it wiped off the face of the earth. Yeah, but like that that's to me like the the troubling question of of the intellect is why does a human life matter? Mm-hmm, right. Like why? Why is it? Why well, and, is and it doesn't. I mean, uh, I mean, from the rational perspective, it doesn't. And you can see, like, that's that's why, um, that's like you can you can rationalize genocide. Um, it's it's your heart that tells you that that it is wrong. <laughs> Um, but you can come up with reasons. You can say, Hey, we can have, we can have a better nation if we, if we adopt eugenics programs because we'll get rid of the inferior people and we'll have the superior people. And, and from a rational standpoint, it does make perfect sense. It is perfectly acceptable. Um, and, and from, you know, from a, a a non-rational standpoint, like it's, it's the non-rational part of you that says, no, you cannot destroy the undesirable people. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you just can't. I mean, that's like that's that's the that's the only 
the only way the non-rational side can respond is just to say you just can't it's just wrong but but as far as like giving rational reasons um yeah, I, mean, it, it's, I, it's I think it can't be done like to be fair there there is an answer to that question so it's like why can't you do it um well it's like well because here's what the consequences are that's why you can't do it but that actually just pushes the question back another round. It's like, okay, so why are those consequences? Yeah, well, even even then, it's like, okay, so now all we have to do is figure out a way to avoid those consequences, and then it will be ethical. Right. Um, yeah, but like I'm speaking of consequences as in like, well, no, never mind, that's not, that doesn't really make a difference to your argument. Um, or to your point, rather. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, right? No, I mean, the the whole debate is like it, it just is kind of a disaster, but it shows off the danger of of making reason um, God. You know, I mean, like making or, or making that the chief uh, the chief element of of your humanity, um, because yeah. reason is going to commit gen- genocide and it's going to create eugenics programs. Um, right. I mean, it has. Mm-hmm. Like, well, let's not just say it's going to. Let's just say it has. Yeah, right. Many, many times it has. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I, I mean, like, and, and it, it's it's a driving force in in like all the divisions within Christianity that wind up marring uh, the faith so much. Um, you know, and we've we've talked about like there can be there can be good in division, um, in in different traditions. But there can also be a lot of bad in the way that those different traditions uh, exercise hostility toward one another. Right. But you know, um, it's 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 like rationalists and dogmatists, the people who have all the answers that decide, well, everybody else must be going to hell, and so they start preaching that to the world. Right. Um. But it's you know, and I, I I maybe I've mentioned this before, but I I was struck by a comment Joseph Campbell made that. Um, when and and he was he was referring to a specific event, uh, which I can't recall. But but it was some sort of uh, like I I don't know if I want to use the word ecumenical because we use that just within a Christian context. But we bring these people from different religious traditions all over the world together, and the priests, the the preachers, the the rational people cannot find any common ground with one another, and the mystics find a kind of brotherhood um, even across religious traditions. Um, so, so again, it's it's like the people that, and you know, not I don't want to come across as saying like, well, you know, that means we're we're all uh, really one religion deep down inside. Um, that does show off like some of the some of the strength in mysticism. Maybe it shows off some of the weakness in it too, but it certainly shows off some of the strength in it, um, and it shows off well, some no, of the. I'll, I'll interject there, like um, just to say, strength and strength and weakness is like. Every strength is also a weakness. Yeah, right, right. Is. Yeah, like which is which is like a fundamental mystical idea, but mm-hmm. it's like it's a it's a universal pattern. It's a universal truth. Yeah. Um, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, like Achilles. Yeah, his uh, his his uh, tendon was his greatest strength. Well, no, I mean the oh. fact that, like, you know, he's dipped in the river. And held by his ankles, like that's the myth, mm-hmm, right? Um, so, like this basically makes him invulnerable, but like in fact he has a he has a vulnerability, um, and it's just like his his invulnerableness makes him vulnerable. Yeah, in right. So it's like your your 
like there is a strength I'm sure that's a better example it's just the first one that came to the top of my head that you're Anything that's a strength is also a weakness, and and anything that's a weakness is also a strength. Yeah, well, I mean, also like a um, Siegfried or Siegfried um, in the Nibelungen lead has the same story. Basically, he bathed in dragon's blood, but there was a leaf on his back, so it didn't cover one spot. But but his uh, his invulnerability, his excellence, part of what it does is it makes him a target. Um, right. If if he'd have been a normal guy, nobody would have wanted to stab him in the back. <laughs> right. Um. Anyway, yeah, I guess getting back to this conversation, I guess turned into like a, a no. I, I mean, that's that's <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, I started off with this uh, this sort of critique of logic, so maybe it was it was destined to go that way. Um, but but I, I did say I wanted to bring it back to one other point that we made um, in our last conversation, and I said this would sort of be a supplement to our last conversation. I don't know how much that has wound up being true, but I'm at least mentioning two different things that we said. At the very end of that talk, um, we, and, and I, should, I say we, I should just be saying you, you mentioned that it was the, um, it was not the righteous who judged the whore of Babylon. Um, the, yeah. righteous, the righteous came out and the wicked are the ones who are doing the judging. And in the context of our last conversation, which was all about institutions and systems and all of these things, then, um, then sort of the, the point that you were getting at there was um, when institutions are flawed, and they will be, then it, it is not the place of the righteous man to, to just call out condemnation and try to destroy the thing. Yeah, um, right. and, and it's, it, it's a point I've just been, I've been thinking about quite a bit um, since we had that conversation, because really... The, the fact that systems are bad, I mean, just to say it very simply, is is blatantly true. When you have systems, there are problems that come in. Um, there There's corruption, for one thing, that, that is, 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 there's a level of corruption that's not possible unless there's a system. Um, maybe there's no such thing as corruption at all unless there's a system. So, th so there's that issue of corruption, but there's also this sense that when you have an institution, when you have a system, then it will it will kind of become rigid and rational, because an institution or a system cannot be spiritual and mystical, just by by the very nature of what a system is. So over time, it becomes crusty and rigid, and um, I mean I, I could just go ahead and use the word conservative, which I don't want to use that as an insult in. Uh, you know, general language, but but along with that, an old institution, um, it has these conservative tendencies that um, that kind of make it uh, stifle any form of creativity and new growth and new life. So yeah. so there there are ways that institutions are bad, and anybody who's a part of some institution, you work for a big company, um, you work for oh, I just say a school since that's where I'm working right now, um, and I certainly have frustrations with 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 the very fact of being part of an institution. Um, I was self-employed before, and I preferred that to being part of an institution. Um, but uh, anyway, so, so there's, there's something that's, that's just very, seems very obvious about the fact that institutions have problems because they are institutions. Systems have problems because they are systems. But the righteous person isn't somebody who says, well, therefore, I hate the institution and I'm going to seek to destroy it. Um, yeah. in, in fact, 
in fact, when the righteous person becomes an old man, then he starts thinking, um, how am I going to leave my legacy? How am I going to do something that's valuable to generations that will come after me? And in order to do that, he turns to institutions. Um, he tries to enrich them so that, that that institution can continue to bless people in the future. And it's like the, the very thing that we're saying is the mark of the beast is also something that a righteous man has the power to transform and, oh, yeah. and, and make it a, a vehicle for good. Like, and maybe, maybe I should say like restore it as a vehicle for good. And, and that's, I'm talking about the righteous man as an old man, but also as a, as a young man or young woman or whatever. When you're, when you're part of the system, you're not raging against it. Your goal is to make this as good as it possibly can be. Yeah, um, and like that, that actually like kind of goes back to the book of Revelations. Like what's the image you have in Revelations is like you have the idea of the new Jerusalem, like this. Um, New Jerusalem coming down. Like you think, what is the New Jerusalem? It's it's like a symbol of the institution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Um, and then, and, you know, there's this idea like, okay, so you have to understand that the book of Revelations is kind of the book of Genesis in reverse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, I really like to think of it that way. So like you have the exact same pattern. You have this pattern in the book of Genesis laid out. And then in the book of Revelations, you take that same pattern and flip it around. So what you have in, the, in Genesis is this idea that everything that is an institution or a technology is the invention of Cain or his sons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, um, and cities themselves, which you were mentioning, right, New yeah. Jerusalem, I mean, the Cain, city. Cain himself built the first right, city. Right, yeah. Just like, and like the reasoning for Cain building a city is like, well, the world is terrible and everybody wants to kill me, um, so I'm going to build this city where people like me can get together and like be wicked together so that we can we can oppress the world basically mm -hmm. yeah i mean and, and that's we, we, can, I, we I, can exert our, ourselves upon the world i, I want to make the the point that the text doesn't say that i mean you're you're reading into it based on the nature of who cain is and the nature of what right. a city is but but right yeah i do agree with you um yeah um i mean that is a good thing to point out, point out. um so yeah, you have this this notion, um, but then like you have it in in Revelations, it's like, well, you know, what? we're going to take all of these all of these things of Cain, and we're going to turn them around and redeem them, make them good. Because it's like, as it turns out, even though Cain was evil, he still can't create something that's outside of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and so in, in Revelation, you know, I, I was kind of hard on, on cities in a way. I mean, I made a comment that um, that people who live in cities have spiritual needs that people who live in the country don't have, um, which I don't know if, if urban people feel that way, but I think every person in the country feels that way. <laughs> and especially if you're in my situation where you've, you, you grew up in the country and now you, now you live in a city, then you feel like, you, you don't necessarily feel like, um, I hate this. You might feel that way, but you at least feel like, um, uh, well, there's I got to pay a ransom for my soul. I mean, there, that that to use the language of the last conversation, like um, I I need to make sure I need to be very careful that I'm setting things right because there is something that's um, that's wrong about about being here. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there there is something that like. Um, 
the system of the city takes something good out of you. So, yeah, well, but, like, but even though I was I was coming down hard on cities, it's true that like in 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 Revelation or just generally with like, uh, um, I mean I, I I think you get you get also some, uh, um, uh, like some Old Testament images of, the, of this restored city, um, but you get you get the, the redemption. Yeah. The redemption of this city. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's nice to bring up in terms of what I had just said as well, because it's like uh, in the course of our lives, we are also working out the redemption of these systems. Right. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's like there's something, it's something I'm, I'm coming to appreciate and understand and to see more and more. It's like there's something totally abhorrent in the idea of somebody who destroys and tears down or even just leaves the institution. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, so like one one example that quickly comes to my mind is the Desert Fathers in 4th century church who, when Christianity became tolerated with Rome, they weren't very impressed with the idea, so they went and became ascetics in the desert. Like, let's go as far away from this as possible. But it's like, after they did that for a while, there's like it, they understood, like you know what, the spirit. you're you're breaking up a little bit. Hey, the- hey, you broke up a little bit on me there, so uh, just back up a couple sentences. Um. Anyway, yeah, where I don't know where I broke up. <laughs> okay, so, sorry. Um, yeah, so the Desert Fathers, you know, they flee away from the church as it's becoming institutional, as it's becoming a part of Rome. But then, like, they come back as old men. It's like, you know what, all of this spiritual progress that we've made, we need to put that back into the institution. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, this is how it becomes that, you know, what, what like, monasticism in, in, in Christianity starts out as kind of like a protest and a rejection of the institutionalization of the church. But then it just it becomes an institution in itself. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's like you know what this actually we need to be a part of the church. Um, well, and also along with that, it, it also begins as as hermits and not as communities at all. Well, I mean, sort of. There were both actually yeah. at the beginning. There were definitely a lot more hermits, but there were also some small sort of communities that popped up yeah at the very beginning um but anyway i guess i like i wanted to i bring up i see more and more as being abhorrent in the idea of uh you know rejecting the institution or reforming the institution or breaking it down or both the idea of revolution and reformation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the refor- reformation is a controversial thing to criticize because it's like, well, what do you do when an institution becomes corrupt? Shouldn't you try to reform it? Was well, like, well, no, actually, because you can't. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It's I, and I used the word redemption before. Um, what we're doing is we're we're redeeming these these institutions or these systems, um, 
And I guess there is something a little uncomfortable about saying we're reforming them. Um, yeah. I mean, even when it comes to, like I mentioned schools before, and it, it comes to, like, well, in my role as a teacher, am I trying to reform the education institutions? And in some sense, I feel like, well, there are some big glaring problems. It would be nice to bring about some reform. But um, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's hard to speak. Um, I, I don't feel like my... Um, like my mission operates on on uh, that large of a sphere of influence. Um, right. I, I'm not trying to change the whole system. I'm just like I'm trying to like okay, here's what I have. Here are the rules that I'm operating in. Um, you know how can I be the very best that I can be um, within this system, uh, which is which is an act of redemption rather than reformation, but. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, there is something that, that makes me uncomfortable when somebody is going to propo- propose something like education reform. And, and I, guess it's, I guess it's because that's, I mean, you can call that person a revolutionary or reformation or reformer or whatever, but that person feels like, like he's got the master plan. Um, he has everything figured out. And the, the institution before, um, you know, nobody had anything figured out. So there's there's a kind of rational arrogance, I guess, in it. Yeah. Um, so like, like to bringing that back to the revelations. Okay. So like, who's the one that does all of the fixing of the problems in the Book of Revelation? Like, who does it? So you have you have the the elders, the twenty four elders. You have the hundred forty four thousand chosen. You have the righteous. You have you know all of these good figures. Um, you know, but well, like the thing that characterizes all of them is that none of them are revolutionaries, none of them are re- reformers, none of them are trying to fix things. Instead, what they're trying to do is be righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the one that comes and fixes things is Christ. Yeah. Um, and it's like that, I, that. I think I see that as being like the pattern that Revelation is trying to show you that, like, look. You shouldn't be the one trying to fix things, because if you're the one that's trying to fix things, you're the one that's, you're one of these servants of the beast. Yeah. That's what you are, and you're going to share in the condemnation of the beast. Well, that's, that's sort of what I said about, you know, it's, it's, there's a rational arrogance in it. I mean, that's the same as saying you're one of the servants of the beast. Um, right, yeah, I mean, it's exactly the same, um. Now the only thing that I would I would want to question on on your comment you made there is just that um, if if Christ is the one who's making the change, um, we are we are imitators of Christ, and so yeah. like I mean what how does that how does that play into this idea that that it's not us? I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that is a good question. I mean, even though, even though, like it, it feels right um, to me, anyways. I don't know if people listening will will have the same sort of skepticism of, of the the attitude of a reformer. Um, but but to me, it feels like there's something right in it. But it also feels like okay. So if I'm going to be like Christ in this world, doesn't that mean I'm going to come in and fix the problems? Yeah, um, I like. I think. I don't know. I guess like I I would think of that as. A pretty Protestant mindset. Yeah. Right. Uh, no. I, I. Yeah. I think so. I mean. But. I, but. Again. I think. I think imitation of Christ and like the idea of, of becoming like Christ, 
um, I think is very important in a way that Protestants also are missing. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out, I'm, like I say, I'm not exactly saying that you're wrong. I'm just well, saying, like, maybe, like, how does this all fit together? Maybe the answer to that question is like, okay, but realize everything that Christ went through before, before he did that. Mm-hmm. Like, before, before Christ returns to set things right, he first came to the earth, you know, like, lowered himself as low as he could possibly lower himself um, to become man. Yeah, and right. And, like, ha- had nothing while he was a man, even though he was the creator of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just served with humility and then died, like, was, was murdered. Yeah. Uh, and like, uh, but then also like after that was resurrected and then ascended into heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, so if you're going to uh, if you're going to be like Christ, and you think part of that means setting things right, it's like okay, there's all of these other steps that you have to go through first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I think also when it comes to uh, and again I'll just use education reform as an example. If you have somebody who comes in with a bunch of new ideas about how to do things then um, I'm just going to speak not in terms of what's necessarily right or wrong, but what people will will perceive as being right or wrong, and maybe they're correct in their perceptions. But um, but if, if somebody comes in and say says, hey, I've got a bunch of changes I'm going to make, it is very important to other people that that, that person was a teacher and still identifies as a teacher, even though they're in a different role right now. Um, like again, I'm speaking education reform in particular. But you you get somebody who's going to change things on the big level. Well, you, in addition to being on the big level, you had also better be on the lowest level. Yeah, which is something like you know there was all, there was a lot of criticism for Donald Trump for putting in an education secretary that had no background in education. Mm-hmm. Um. And there's all kinds of defense of that, so like I'm not going to take a position on the right or left, either one. I'm just like using this to illustrate the point. So the idea on the right is, well, it's like she's a businesswoman and she needs to run this as a business. And then there's uh, there's this objection, but she has no background in education, which mm-hmm. is an accurate objection to have. Yeah. Right. Um, you know. In any industry, like in well, in I, I mean, industry. I guess I guess part of the point that I'm really making, like, uh, and I, I I was very clear I was talking about people's perceptions, um, right. but but I I think really the heart of what I'm saying is is sort of this question of identity. Um, you need to you need to I, you need to be one of the people. Like, yeah. I, identity is a hard word because you can say, well, I identify as being um, one of the lowly ones. I identify as being a member of the working class or whatever, you know, and it's like, well, that uh, identity is a is a dangerous word just because you can. Uh, it's like such an easy word to use when you're when you're just uh, blowing smoke or whatever. Yeah. So, um, but but like, but 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 that person needs to have like like a, a major part of their being needs to really like abide in in that lowest level. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Which is like this idea, you know, Christ becomes a man and like is tempted in all points like as we are. And also like you have this, uh, 
this idea through the genealogies of Christ, how, like, I really like this idea that there's a reason the writers of the Gospels, like Matthew and Luke, I think, are the two that give us genealogies. Is that correct? Um, I think so, yeah. But they, but they, they spell the details differently. And also, like, they leave people out and include people. So, to, to make, they include and exclude certain people to make a point. And that point is basically, um, you know, directed at the context of the culture that they're writing to, to show you, like, look, all of the problems, all of the things that are wrong with your world, Christ has that in his lineage. Like, he's fully involved in all of the bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is inseparable from his nature. Yeah. In, in the incarnation. And it's like, that's, you know, like, this is this is all kind of higher up, more mystical you know, language, bringing it down on a, on a practical level. Okay, so what's that mean? Well, so, like, your situation in teaching reform is like, well... Like you said, like your your reformer, well, not your reformer, but your your figure. Like in order to be at the top, you need to kind of be the lowest of the low. Mm-hmm. Well, and say to get to get out of a, a conventional mystical uh, framework, then we'll say like you're going to look towards some musician as being a type of spiritual guide in your life. Then. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like it's important to you that there's some rough edges to that person um if they've you know if they've had some like criminal background or or something like that like that in a way makes them more legitimate um and i was thinking of like on the uh i i this must have been on the ken burns country music uh documentary um johnny cash's daughter made some comment about johnny cash was not was never in prison but when he was playing concerts in the prisons you wouldn't have been able to convince anybody there that that was true they all believed that he was one of them mm-hmm. and i mean he did have personal problems i mean in some ways he wasn't as far removed from them as what what a lot of people are but but there's still this sense that um if if the person is really going to be up on a pedestal um if they're really going to be making waves in the world then they must be one of the lowly ones And, and yeah, I mean, I music in general works that way. Like, it, it's actually a, really astonishing to me. Like, if you look back through music history and you see, like, how many of the people that, that really, and especially uh, modern music history, I guess, um, but, uh, but you look back at, like, how many of the people that, that really revolutionized music, how many of them came from money, it's, it's very, very few of them. How many of them came from poverty, it's like it's almost all of them. <laughs> Even though, even though a lot more rich people have have learned and played music than what poor people have, um, but but it's like the the important people must be lowly people. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to point out, like we're not saying <laughs> those people are are like Christ, but like at the same time, there is there is still. Well, I think I I think they're I think they are bringing about something in the world that the world needs. Yeah. Well, what I was trying to say is, 
they're not we're not saying that they're like Christ. No, and and you know, I I wouldn't Christ. Well, but but there's a sense that there's a sense in that they are showing a part of the pattern. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean when I say they're they're bringing the world something that the world needs. Um but no, like I think um and this is something I find to be a pretty frequent pattern among the uh, the mystical writers of early Christianity, which remember, like, all of these guys that I'm talking about were, for the most part, pretty much all of them were persecuted by the church for saying the things that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, but they, but every last one of them takes like a really, really strong stance against the idea that you should try to fix the church or you should try to reform the church or you should try to cleanse the church of all of its errors or you should try to you know set forth perfect dogma and all of these these things mm-hmm, right um, i i think like there's there's definitely a strong ethic in early christianity that uh like you avoid at all costs anything that pretty much anything that causes the problem. Yeah. Um. Well, and I, I mean, this is an interesting uh, line to take on this idea of the reformer, but partly because um, because it, I know I'm 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 getting a little off topic of where where you were headed. But it puts humility as as the highest virtue, mm-hmm. um, which which I I think is the case anyways. I mean, like from a, a spiritual standpoint, I think you cannot grow without well, I mean without humility. But you, you know, you can't grow without death to self, without without releasing something that you hold dear. Um, and so, I mean, like you can you can have a lot of a lot of sins, and you can you can beg for forgiveness. Um, but you can't be like proud and arrogant and beg for forgiveness. Like you, you, yeah, you so. have to be humble. Like there's, there's no growth without humility. So I, I do consider it. And I think this is actually very Mennonite, but I, I do consider it like, well, I don't know. It's, it's sort of very Catholic too, as far as the theology of it goes. Um, but I mean, in terms of like, just the way that, that Mennonites feel about things, um, that, that humility is sort of the ultimate that you aspire to. Well, I mean, it's also like definitely, definitely the early Christian mindset that like everything, like humility is at the center and at the root of everything. Yeah. Um, like anything that you have, if you don't have it in humility, becomes a curse. Like anything that's a blessing without humility is a curse. Yeah, right. Um, and going back to Isaac the Syrian, um, like I said, I was listening to him earlier, listened to a recording of one of his books earlier. Um, another thing he said, like on the idea of knowledge and somebody that has knowledge, is like, okay, first of all, he says, he, he has this idea, anybody who is eager to dispute the truth doesn't have the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, like, if you're if you are wise, if you do have the truth... If somebody wants to dispute with you, for their sake, don't say anything. Yeah. And uh, like, and like presenting this idea, like, oh, are you there? Yeah, sorry, I, I was pausing to get oh. my thoughts. 
Okay. You don't like it when I do that. Well, I mean, it's a little hard to tell on the phone, but you were you were breaking up a little bit a while ago, and I thought, uh-oh, it, I finally lost him. Yeah, no, um, where was I? You threw me off my, my, my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, well, um, this phone conversation, no, actually, it's been very good, I think, but, uh, um, it's, it's hard. We don't get to interrupt each other as often when we're on the phone because we, I don't know, I, I, that's one thing I've noticed about this talk. <laughs> um... Anyway, you were talking about don't don't dispute the person. Yeah. Um, well, they wanted to dispute the truth, and you remain silent. Right. I can't remember what I was going to say. I don't know. He, you're going to tie it to humility, maybe. Huh? You're tying it to humility, perhaps. I was. But I can't remember my. I lost my. Yeah. My Okay, well, well, we, we had talked about doing maybe a shorter talk, maybe half an hour or so, and, and we've been going for uh, over an hour now. So um, we want to wrap this up before too long. Um, I, I think there was actually a lot more to this conversation than what I thought there was going to be when we were, we were planning it beforehand. Um, yeah, I'm not riding my horse anymore, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I can tell, actually, because <laughs> I, I do hear it every now and then when you're on it. Uh, not constantly, but yeah, I hope you had a nice ride. I had a nice walk around the baseball field. And then actually there's a, a church on the other side of the baseball field. They got stations with the cross there that I walk through there sometimes. And, uh, I guess I didn't really go through the whole stations, but, uh, I was th going through part of it for the conversation anyway. Um... Yeah, I feel like I wanted to say something more on uh, on the idea of you know the rebel or the um, and, you know people like to try to cast Christ as a rebel or as a reformer. Mm -hmm, right. He's the opposite of either one of those things. Um, and um, I guess I guess this does kind of tie back to what I was saying about you know like thinking that you hold the truth. Um, you know thinking that you're a bearer of the truth and wanting to spread the truth, wanting to wanting to dispute, wanting to prove, and that probably being an evidence that you don't hold to the truth. Because, like, he, he also brings... Like, I find it a really fascinating idea, and it's, like, I've been running around in my mind and trying to deal with it, because, like, there's part of me that wants to disagree with it. But this idea that, you know, those that are, you know wrapped up in disputations and wanting to wanting to prove their point and wanting to show what they think is right like they're they're far from the truth mm -hmm. and when you when you when you come to the truth the the actual the actual i guess sort of behavior you'll have is you'll be quiet you'll be humble you you're not you're gonna be so eager to speak yeah um which i like there, there's a sense in which that just makes perfect sense but i can't quite put together why yeah well i think one thing it makes me think of is just you you can look around you can see like the current of ideas in the world um or or maybe there's some i mean maybe you're just watching the news all the time or you're seeing the state of politics or whatever and and you think man this world is just falling apart um and actually, most of the normal people are just fine, and and they're just minding their own business. Like, they're they're not crazy, um, but 
you know, they're not, they're not, they're not vocal about like being normal human beings with normal human values. Right. Um, I mean, there's, there's a kind of silence, um, and, and like just this, this keeping to themselves, um, and the, the, yeah, but I don't the, think that's quite the same, like, you know, like no, but but I mean the the, the contrast the contrast is like these the the people that have a platform and have fame and are saying all these crazy things like all the all the stuff that's crazy in the world is coming from like the ambitious people. Yeah. Um, well, like there's definitely I, I I don't quite get so much of the side of it like what he's why it makes sense to me that the person who holds the truth um you know is just going to be quiet and humble mm-hmm. and not not to not go out and try to share it and speak it and all those things yeah but like the other side of it is like well that the other side of it is perfectly obvious i think like anybody that i can think of that's really vocal about an idea uh, and really out there trying to prove their point uh you, you look at them and think like you don't believe this mm-hmm yeah, you're just right. trying. You're, you're trying to convince yourself. Like you're, um, and I, like I don't know. I, I'm trying to be less critical of. Uh, I probably won't go there. I'm intentionally trying to be less, less critical of certain groups of people in like certain branches of Christianity and things like that. Um, I, I was tempted to bring out like. Here's what this group does. Well, it's it's tough because again, you have the same thing that I was just describing, where you have you have some leaders in these churches um, that um, they've tried to to nail positions down in a certain way, and you know, blah blah blah. Like the 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 her, the whole church seems to be corrupt and terrible and evil, but like really, a lot of the people that you know within that church are like they're just fine. Yeah, well, I mean, because it's, it's interesting because concept in my mind that uh, the the situation that we're in as a church right now is so dissimilar from what the church was like in the fourth century, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> there's 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 an understanding in the fourth century like there's a lot of sectarianism, there's a lot of division. Um, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different sects within the church, but then there's still this understanding that, like, there's still just one church. Yeah, right. And, like, I think of, like, I have this idea, like, this kind of concept in my head that all of these different uh, denominations that exist, like, you can think of them as people, and, like, what they all are is they're all rebels, they're all reformers, like, they're all people that are trying to fix the church in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, well, like none of them are the church. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I've been using education reform as an example, but but since I'm kind of in this like I shouldn't say church hopping state in life. I mean, we moved to a new area, and we're we've been looking around at a few different churches, trying to figure out where we want to go. Um, there's a difficulty in it because. Wherever you go, you see you see problems, things that you don't like about it. And if it was a church that you were already devoted to, you would see those problems, but you would say, I still accept this and I still love it, even though it has problems. Right. Um, 
I, I don't know. I guess I, I'm again just sort of processing that in in relation to this idea of of the the institutions have problems. Um, there's I, I I felt like this was more related to your comment, I guess, than what it really is. Um, but I mean, like what what you want to do is go in there and not not necessarily reform it or change it and and also not go out and somewhere magically find a perfect church but you just go in there and you just be the best person that you can be um and and in doing that like you redeem the thing well yeah i mean because it's like the other side of it is like okay what hope is there like again going back to the idea of the institutions you know like christ redeems the institutions um Mm-hmm. So like, well, like, what what hope is there? What hope is there for Jerusalem if all of all of God's people just abandon her? Yeah, right. Well, you know, and and what hope is there for the church? Or again, like to go back to education. This was on my mind earlier in the conversation, and I didn't yeah, mention well, so it. Like I'm using, but I'm using Jerusalem as like. It's all those things, yeah, right. Yeah, it's a symbol. It's a universal symbol. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's used in the scripture. So, so you go back to things like schools, and and again, you have lots of good people who say, um, and actually myself included, even though I'm in a public school right now, like there are lots of good people who say, like I would just rather not be there. I just dislike the system so much that I want I want a job anywhere else. And it, it it's like the worst things get the more that the good people want to pull away and not be involved in it. And and every kind of system, you know, so like every I'll kind of institution like, is that way. And so it's like, yeah, it, but, in politics too, you know, I mean, if, if you, we've talked about that before, if, if you decide politics is for bad people and all politicians are corrupt and I'm not going to go into it, it's like, okay, well, that's one less good person and that means that chair is open for one more bad person. So, yeah, so like, like also, the world's like, getting worse when you when you decide that institutions are bad so you're not going to take part in them. What you have is a, it, like, it's a very, very, like, an extremely modern concept. Um, and it's also, like, I would characterize it, sorry for, sorry for those of you that have gone through this thought process and made decisions like this, but it's an extraordinarily selfish way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Like, and, you know, I, I started... when I what, what you're saying is, I'm the center of my own world. Yeah. Well, I'm well, the that's... the most important thing in my world. And so, like, anything that violates me, I need to get away from it. I need to get out of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like, you're supposed to lay down your life and die for the world. Like, that's what it means to be like Christ. Yeah, that's that's why when I started describing like how does the righteous person deal with the institution, uh, my first example was okay. Picture an old guy who's near the end of his life and he's thinking about what is my legacy going to be. Just because that's that's like the definition of somebody who's not thinking about himself. Like I I, I started with that example because that rules out selfishness altogether. And you see, okay, how does a selfish person behave in the institution? Well, he tries to he tries to be the best he can be, and he he tries to to help that institution do good to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the 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 selfish person just uh, um, he he can't be satisfied with it enough in order for it to to do good to other people. Right, and so like this is what 
like we create in the modern world with the church is, um, and you know, like the Protestants certainly start, is that, uh, well, like there, there's no good in the system. So I need, I'll need to go and make my own system. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we do need to call it quits pretty soon, so... Um, yeah, I actually have stuff I need to, okay. to do. To yeah, I, I think, I mean, good thoughts. I enjoyed the conversation. I don't know if you have any any last words you want to... Um, you want to hit anything one more time, or just any closing thoughts? Uh, no, not really. Okay. Um. Okay, yeah, I, I think I'll be satisfied with it there, too. Maybe I'll just just reference your, your image of New Jerusalem one more time. Um, and this idea that that this isn't just a, the description of the end times, but but it's like right. this is how we live our lives. Um, is yeah, we like we bring you, about that um, that we bring about that new Jerusalem. Yeah, like if and if you like to tie it back to what we've been talking about with with the institutions, it's like if you're willing to if you're willing to stick it out and like if the righteous people are willing to stick it out and not try to fix things, then that's actually the answer. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what enables God to work. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Nice. Uh, okay. We'll just call it a night. Um, and thanks to everyone who's listening.